You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's really great to see all of you here this afternoon. Always look forward to Welcome Back Sunday because uh, there's a lot of energy in the the sanctuary and then we get a meal together afterwards. And for a lot of us, they're just people we haven't seen in a while because we've been going in different directions over the summer. And so it's a great time to reconnect with old friends and to meet new friends. Um, And I hope you'll uh, stay with us after the service to do just that. My name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And last week, if you are here, I talked about uh, an example of a perfect episode of television. Happened to be The Bear, season two, episode seven, in case you're interested. Today, I wanna talk about a perfect chapter in the Bible. And you're like, well, it's the Bible. They're all perfect. Well, maybe. It is the inspired word of God, but certainly some chapters in the Bible are more perfect than others, right? We're going to talk about an example of that. We're going to look today and for the next two weeks at Luke 15. And Luke 15 is, I think it's the center point of Luke's gospel. And as we've been reading through this gospel together over the last several months, uh, I've seen more and more ways that Luke is really pointing to a climax in Luke 15. And obviously there's another climax still to come with Jesus' death and his resurrection. But in terms of the, the ministry and the teaching of Jesus, I think it comes to a climax in Luke 15. And we believe this so strongly at City Church that every time we do a new membership class, we call it City Church Basics, the place we start is Luke 15. So looking around this room, I know many of you uh, sat through that class. And why would we spend an hour together uh, at the beginning of that class looking at Luke 15? Well, because it captures the heart of the gospel. It captures the heart of God himself. And it's, uh, it, it makes an impact on us, right? We start City Church Basics with Luke 15 because we never want to forget Luke 15. And, and I hope that for those of you who remember going through that class, that it made an impact on you reading that chapter. And whether or not it made an impact on you, I can guarantee it makes an impact on me. Because right? I get the benefit of reading through it with a group of you two or three times a year. And Harrison does, and Meg does, our staff does. Right? We get to uh, immerse ourselves again and again in this perfect chapter of Scripture that draws us close to the heart of God. So today and for the next couple Sundays, we're going to look at what makes this chapter so important for us and how it's at the center of City Church. So if you're new here, these next three Sundays are a great opportunity for you to figure out what City Church is all about. And if you come for these next three Sundays and you like what you hear and you say, yeah, that's a group of people that I want to walk through life with, I hope you'll keep coming. And if not, then you'll know, hey, Luke 15 isn't for me. 
All right, let's read um, these verses. I'm just going to read the first 10 verses today. Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. You can find this in your Bible if you have one, or it's also printed in the worship guide for you. Here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner, who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we ask now that by your Spirit you would come and bring this chapter, these words, alive to us. You know that we're easily distracted. We're burdened by responsibilities and sin and heartache. Help us to see through that fog and see your love your pursuit, your joy. We ask that you would do this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today, as we are introduced to Luke chapter 15, I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the premise, I want to talk about the parables, and I want to talk about the point. First, the premise. This is really the the first two verses of this chapter. And the, sometimes these are the types of verses that we skip over. We, we, um, we read over them quickly and we move on and let's get to the meat of this chapter. But these are the whole premise for the rest of the chapter and they're super important because of that. What do we learn in verse 1? Well, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. The sinners and the tax collectors were drawing near to Jesus. What do you take from that? Well, you should take that Jesus was hanging out with the wrong people. He attracted the wrong crowd. Sinners and tax collectors, that's, that's, like, that's code for the wrong people. The people that Jesus, a teacher, a good Jewish rabbi, should never have been hanging out with. That's precisely who Jesus was, ta- was hanging out with. And it's not just this one time. This was the established pattern of Jesus' life, that he hung out with sinners. The verb here that's used, they were all drawing near to him. It's a progressive tense verb. That means it happened continually, again and again in Jesus' life, as he walked around, as he taught, as he had meals with people. Who was it that gathered around him? It wasn't the righteous, it was sinners. It was the wrong people who came close to Jesus. What is the pattern, what is the established pattern of the church's ministry? Is it tax collectors and sinners? 
Or is it people who have all their stuff together? What's the established pattern of your life? Who draws near to you? Is it the people with confidence, the people who have their heads held up high? Or is it the wrong people, the tax collectors and the sinners? You know, I think the pattern of the church's ministry too often is sinners aren't welcome here. I think too often the church's pattern is we need to attract more Christians to come to this place. And when that's our pattern, we're out of step with Jesus. You know, I, I, uh, I'm a young life leader. I've told some of you that before. And um, we're going to be taking students to a young life camp later this semester. And one of the students who went last year, I heard him recently, and he said, you know what, Young Life Camp would be better if it were for Christians. And part of me was really glad he said that because he's starting to understand what Young Life is about. It's not for him. It's for the lost. It's for the sinners. It's for the wrong people. And how awesome is it that Young Life has camps that are designed for the wrong people? And what would it look like if the church had an established ministry that was the same? A week or so ago, I went to an AA meeting because a friend of mine was there. They get it. It was a powerful experience. First time I'd ever been to an AA meeting. I'd read about them, I'd heard about them. I'd never been to an AA meeting before. At an AA meeting, the wrong people know they're welcome there. In fact, the only price of admission to get in is to know that you're broken. You're beyond self-repair. I can't do it any longer. Friends, that's what the pattern of the church should be because that's what the pattern of Jesus' life was. Righteousness is such a tricky concept for us, isn't it? We feel like that's what we should long for. That's what we are are supposed to shoot for. That's what our hearts are hungry for. But friends, righteousness, righteousness doesn't make us safe because of who we keep out. Righteousness makes us safe because who we have been found by. That's where our righteousness comes from. It comes from Jesus and the pattern of his life was that the wrong people were drawn towards him. It's the first part of the premise. The second verse is equally important, though, too. There it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. This man receives sinners. Right? These Pharisees, these are the religious insiders. These are the moral people in that society. What do they do? They raise themselves up in judgment, and they cast an eye and cast judgment on Jesus. This idea dies so hard in all of our human hearts. The idea that God receives sinners. How many times have you thought in your life, God will welcome me once I clean myself up? At least I, at least I better get started on cleaning myself up. Maybe I won't get all the way, but I'm going to get most of the way there. Friends, God receives sinners. He welcomes them. Throws his arms open wide and says, come. Because he knows that we can never make ourselves right on our own. 
It's such a recalcitrant belief that we, uh, we have to get rid of. Luke 15 helps. The scoffing Pharisees show us our own hearts that begrudge God of his grace to welcome sinners. I've talked about this before uh, a bunch of years ago. We, uh, for a little giveaway at City Church, we made koozies, right? And I had a picture of the smiling Jesus with like his Beyonce hair blowing in the background. And, and on it, on the koozie, it said, drinking with sinners until, uh, since 2006. City Church, drinking with sinners since 2006. A lot of people grumble about that koozie. They're not grumbling because of blatant violation of the second commandment either. They are grumbling... They are grumbling because of this idea. You would be a church that welcomes sinners. You know where we took the tagline for that koozie? From the Bible. It's right here. If you have a problem with the koozie, you have a problem with Jesus. I have a problem with Jesus a lot because he welcomes sinners. That's the premise. Well, what are the parables? They're familiar to many of us. This is verses 3 through 10. Jesus tells two parables, two two stories meant to teach these spiritual truths. He tells a story of the lost sheep and a story of the lost coin. What's the story of the lost sheep? Well, he's using a shepherd, which is a very familiar image throughout Scripture. Right? Savannah read for us earlier today Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You see it in Isaiah, you see it in Ezekiel, you see it throughout the Psalms. This idea that God is the shepherd. But what's surprising in the parable of Jesus is what this shepherd does, right? We're often so surprised at him. It seems so reckless. He leaves 99 sheep to go find one. We, we look at that and we say, the math is off. What are you doing, shepherd? Surely you need to go back to shepherd school. But look again at how Jesus tells this parable. Because his point is the exact opposite of what our response is most of the time. His point is, of course this is what the shepherd does. It's not to make you so surprised that this shepherd is unlike any other shepherd. This is what shepherds do. He says, what man of you, if you have lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in open country and go after one that is lost? That's exactly what you would do. It's what you would do if you lost a sheep. Why don't you do that when it's a person who's lost? You'd do it for a sheep, but you wouldn't do it for your brother or your sister. It's shocking, it's reckless, it's confusing if it's a person. No, Jesus is saying, this is the very work of a shepherd. Of course he would do it. He values that sheep so much. The shepherd in this story shows urgency, he shows recklessness, and he shows tenderness too, doesn't he? What does he do when he finds the sheep? Picks it up. Puts it on his shoulders, carries it home. Shepherd is tender and soft when he needs to be. How many of you who are parents have had that panicked moment when a kid has been lost for a little bit too long 
and you don't know where they are. And then finally, maybe across the playground or through the mall, you see your kid and they come running up to you. And your first instinct is to scold, isn't it? But the shepherd is tenderhearted. He picks the sheep up, wraps it around his neck. So it is with our God, the good shepherd, the true shepherd. If you've been wandering for a long time, if you're the wrong person and you've been a sinner who's been far from God for a long time, he's not coming to scold you. He's coming to love you. The lost sheep, the other parable is the lost coin. Again, this is uh, telling the same uh, it's making the same point. It's telling a different story with the same point. And it's classic Jesus, right? He's using these everyday images, everyday scenarios to drive home these spiritual truths. This time it's focused on a woman, not a male shepherd out in the field, but a woman in her own home. And she's lost a coin. The word here is drachma. It's a Greek word. It's roughly equivalent to a Roman word, denarius. And that means about a day's wages. That's the value of this coin. So it's not, a, it's not a ton of money. It's a significant amount of money, but it's not a ton of money. But what I want you to focus on is the action of this woman. What does she do? Look again. It's structured the same way. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she lose one, loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she she finds it. It's a little more developed in terms of the action words. Why? Because Luke wants to stress, or Jesus wants to stress how actively she is involved in this search. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the whole house. She won't stop looking until it's found. It's her focus. And the expectation, again, is that how could she do anything else? Of course she's going to do this. About six months ago, I lost my AirPods. It was at Roslyn, actually, where the women go for their retreat in January. I lost my AirPods. I turned that room upside down, right? I stripped everything off the bed. I was looking for these things. I, I called the main office and said, hey, if your housekeeping staff finds these, tell them not to keep them, but to return them to me, right? I retraced my steps was doing everything. I was seeking diligently to find these AirPods. I never found them. But you know, if I had found them, what I wouldn't have done? Throw a party. I wouldn't. Like, I was too embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anyone I had lost them. I didn't want to tell Sarah that I lost my AirPods. But that's the other dimension of this story, and it happens in both, right? The lost sheep and the lost coin. When it's found, they throw a party. And that teaches us something really significant, doesn't it? It teaches us the value of what is lost. I think that's so important for us. What happens when we lose things? Even something that, for me, is pretty valuable to lose AirPods. But I shrug my shoulders. I'll order a new pair. I'll move on with my life. But when everything's replaceable, nothing has value, does it? And so what these parables are teaching you and me is that you have value. You're not replaceable to God. 
It's not that he looks at you as you wander away, as you're lost and away from his heart. He doesn't say, oh, well, there's somebody else. I can replace her with him. No. You have value so that God will seek you out. All right, that's the premise. That's the parables. Well, what's the point of all this? Really, there there are three points. First, God is fully committed to seeking what is lost. He's all in. He's not holding anything back. Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that God is committed to seeking the lost? Let me ask you with a finer point. Do you believe that God is committed to seeking you? It says in verse 7, it makes it very clear, and we sang about this earlier. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That shows you God's heart. He's all in for the lost, that they might be found. Here's the other little secret about understanding this passage, especially verse 7. There are no 99 righteous we're all lost. We're all lost. And that's the beauty of God's grace, the beauty of God's love is that he comes seeking for us. But that's also the key to understanding this parable. Because the people who didn't understand this parable, the people that Jesus told this parable for, were the people who thought they were righteous, thought that they were the 99. You won't understand the heart of God, you won't understand the grace of God until you understand that you are lost without him. And not just lost once upon a time, but lost today and wandering today. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But it begs this question, right? Because if we are lost, then we wonder, am I worth looking for? As I put this quote from Henri Nouwen at the top of the worship guide today, He says, can I accept that I am worth looking for? Some of you have never believed that. You wouldn't believe, you don't believe in God's reckless love towards you, maybe for other people, but they haven't gone as far away as I have. They haven't done the things that I have. Am I worth God looking for me? The answer to that is yes. He's all in to bring you home. Here's the second point, is that God rejoices when the lost are found. God's all in on the search, and when he finds, he's all in on rejoicing as well. So a similar question, do you believe that you're worth rejoicing over? Do you believe that? It's it's great when we read it in Luke 15 and kind of get this warm, fuzzy feeling, but this is true of you. If you are a lost sinner, when you are found, the angels in heaven rejoice. How can that be? One of the most powerful moments for me as a parent was watching my son play volleyball and having the crowd in the gym cheer his name. This was a group of people who were rejoicing over my son. And it pales in comparison 
to the angels in heaven that will cheer your name as you are found by the good shepherd. It's also a good reminder to you to show up and cheer for people, right? Because we can play a part in this of giving to people a taste of what it's like to know they're found by God. All right, the last point is this, that we as God's people are meant to look and act like God. We haven't talked a whole lot about this, but this is the very point of Luke 15. This is what Jesus is driving at. He's telling these parables to say, this is the heart of God, and if you understand this about God, this will be your heart too. This is what the church will look like. This is what city church will be if we understand this truth. Friends, seeking the lost, the wrong people, the tax collectors and sinners, that is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And I am most able to do that when I remember first that I am lost and that God has come after me. I'm the lost sheep. I'm the lost coin. I'm the lost son. And God has found me so let me then live my life in a way that images his great love. Let me end with a, a couple of practical ways that we are practicing this at City Church. We're committed to doing this. The first I want to introduce to you is something called elder shepherding groups. And this is new at City Church. We haven't done this in the past, but we as a leadership have recognized the importance of this. So the elders, the pastors Harrison and me and our ruling elders, what we've done is we've split up every household that are members of City Church, and we've assigned each of those households to one of the elders. And it's our job to come and look for you. And, and this is because we believe that we keep getting lost, we keep straying away, we keep wandering. And we have this job as shepherds to come and find you. So that may be through email, it may be through text, it may be through conversations, it may be through visits at your house. But we, as the elders, want to be like the good shepherd Jesus. So sometime this fall, you will be contacted by your elder. If you're a member of this church and you're not contacted by an elder by, say, the end of uh, next month, let me know. I'm the accountability. This is good for you and it's good for us. It's how we begin to um, inhabit the heart of Luke 15. Here's another example. I've talked about it before. Here's another way that this shows up practically at City Church. It's through our harvest parties, right? This year, we're not doing one big harvest party. We're doing um, probably four or five harvest parties throughout the city that are localized parties that you are throwing for your friends and your neighbors, that you are throwing for sinners and tax collectors, that you are throwing for the wrong people. Because too often at our parties, the people who show up are us and the people who look like us and act like us. But Jesus, what was the habit of his life? eating and drinking with the wrong 
people. We need to do the same. But here's the trick, and here's the challenge with this. And I think we're going to discover this this fall as we do these harvest parties. It can't be a one-off thing. That's so inauthentic. Your your friends and your neighbors are going to smell it a mile away. It has to be the settled character of your life to seek after the lost, to rejoice when they are found. Otherwise, it's just a gimmick. Is seeking after the lost the settled characteristic of your life? I think there are very few of us who could answer that question yes. Maybe it's a family member, right? A sibling, a child. Have you thought about dedicating your life to searching after them, of seeking after them the way that the Good Shepherd does? What would that look like? What would need to change? Not a family member, maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker. What would that look like for you to be as diligent, as faithful, as thorough as the woman who is searching after a lost coin? That's the calling that Luke 15 places on our lives. And the last thing I'll say is that a great diagnostic for this, Jesus gives it to us at the very start of this passage. The diagnostic, it's your meals. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him. Oh, the nerve. The nerve to have a meal with a sinner. So do an audit of your meals this week or this month or this year. Do they reflect the heart of God? Let's pray.